Incoming transmission from the Babylon Project. And welcome to the Babylon Project, our last best hope for trash. This is a rewatch podcast for Babylon 5, featuring this week four friends wandering through the wilderness of season five. I am Justin, entertainer, help me along, or my co host Jude and Anna. And joining us, are, if our illustrious guest could please introduce himself. Hi, my name is David Gordon Buresh. I write for Cardboard Republic, and I am a journalist activist and huge fan of babylon 5 excellent happy to have you thank you yeah it's i'm thrilled to have david here david and i go way back in the legend of the five rings fandom so uh it's very exciting for me to have uh roped him into uh coming on to the podcast for an episode so i'm thrilled to have you on here tonight I'm very excited to be here, and especially for this episode. I'm yeah, not wearing my uh, I'm not wearing my cosplay, but I have cosplayed <laughs> as uh, in the past with this. It's one of my few cosplays that I have. Uh, nice. Before we get into real introductions, Jude, Anna, how you doing? Uh, uh, there were we got eighteen and a half inches of snow in the last four four or five days, so. That was fun and different because we have had no snow this year until said 18 odd inches and then some inches of snow. Uh, so that was that was a hoot. Um, it turns out that the very reasonably priced corded snow uh, snow thrower that I bought two years ago cannot handle 18 plus inches of snow. Uh, so what about your arms, Jude? Can they handle 18 inches of snow? Have you seen me? Uh, have you <laughs> heard me? I live in a cave. I'm a, tr- I'm like, uh, I'm not even like a troll. I'm like one of the weak little goblins that can't like manage to carry a sword in Moria. I just hide in the dark and wait for the action to end. We do not, we do not describe Jude's arms as pythons. They are in fact garden snakes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, uh, it was a it was a bit of a struggle uh, to get all that snow done, and I didn't even do the entire driveway. I did half the driveway and left my wife's car uh, <laughs> frozen in the driveway. So uh, it's been it's been a fun week for us over here in uh, Frozen Town, Ohio. Well, you could you could always do what my parents did, starting at a very young age, and uh, you enlist the help of your son. Dude, I should. That kid loves snow to an admittedly bizarre degree. He's lived here his whole life. He doesn't know that that like flopping around in in eight inches of snow like a little fish is weird. It's very strange. I was out there shoveling at like five. So I guess I mean, to me, I was raising Cal. I mean, I'm from California. So to see like my son in like jeans diving into a pile of snow like he was (laughs) like it's nothing is bizarre to me. I like snow from the inside of a house with central heat. So, <laughs> yeah. Anna, how you doing? Oh, doing doing okay. You know, it's the uh, it's that meme with the you know the is it seasonal depression? Is it regular depression? Is it COVID depression? 
you know, it doesn't, I mean, doesn't really matter. I at least know overlap. I got COVID, so I know what COVID depression's like. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm going to skip our usual joke questions uh, for this episode. And instead, I'm going to ask David, how did you get into Babylon 5? Oh, God. I watched it when it was first airing because I'm old. Um, mm. Specifically, so when I was a little kid, my aunt um, was getting her doctorate and she lived in, you know, a metropolitan area. I did not. I lived, I lived in the frozen North of Vermont. So, which I find the conversation about throwing yourself into piles <laughs> of snow hilarious because it's like, I remember digging literally like holes and like areas you could hide <laughs> under in snow. Like, uh, and so one of the things is we had very few channels. Um, we literally had like the, we had the big four and then we had like seven channels in French. Yep. I, I feel you there. I grew up in, you know, middle of, no, middle of nowhere, upstate New York. Oh, yeah. We probably grew up watching the same French cartoons then. Uh, yeah. The, the, the one with the there was that one with the, like the Blue Jay, right? Oh, yeah. Awesome that shit was good. Oh, yeah. Also, Garfield and Friends in French is hilarious. Um, <laughs> but. So she would send VHSs regularly of shows that she had cable where she lived. So she would record cool science fiction shows um, and would send them to us. And Babylon 5 was one of the shows that she would record and send. Man, big ups to your aunt. That's pretty cool. That's a pretty solid move. Yeah. Well, my my aunt's like was getting her doctorate in sociology and anthropology. So like Babylon 5 was right up in her wheelhouse and she quite enjoyed it. And she's like, I know who will love this. My absolute crazy nerd of a nephew. <laughs> that's super cool. So that's that was my first exposure to Babylon 5. And I, I love meeting somebody else who like initially watched the show as a kid on bootleg VHS. Oh, yeah. Because that, that was absolutely how I watched it, too. If anything, that's like the sadness of things that were lost and the new generation will never experience is the simple joy of watching bootlegs on VHS. <laughs> I I think I'm I think I'm like the I think I'm of like the last possible generation that learned how to program a VCR. I I have I have a, I have a, like a very important memory of like learning of programming our our VCR and the TV to record uh Redwall episodes because they had a Redwall <laughs> animated series and That's I was awesome. like I was desperate and, and like it came on at like 10 a.m. on weekdays on PBS, and I was just like, I gotta do this. The best show. That's I, terrific. I spent, I spent allowance money on those tapes. Wow. You got you got to get your fix though. Yeah. So mad respect for that. Um, all right. So um, tonight we are only recording one episode uh, because it's I mean for the I, best I, considering how long my summary for this episode is. <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty average for you, Jude. I think this might be the episode that, like, maybe it's just because it's the latest one that we have of, like, this is an episode that matters to people who, who are fans of the show. Um, mm. Like, it's, the, it's, like, the latest one that we've got. Like, I know the season five finale is, like, coming, mm. but this is, like, yeah. the last one I've been told is, like, a big important one. But it's like this is the I think this is one of the episodes that I've been like most 
like people have told me like this is a really good episode you're going to you like look forward to that i would say that's probably pretty accurate i don't i'm gonna level with you i don't remember the rest of season five i had vague recollections of season five up through this point but between here and the end of season five i remember one thing one <laughs> and it's not even interesting it's a, a side character from season four comes back. That's it. That's that's what I remember because I like the character and they come back. And that's all I remember. Oh, is it number one? I have one? no recollection. Hmm? Is it number one? God damn. How do you, how did you guess that? Because it's like the only notable person from season four who we give a shit about. Yes, it's number one. Number one is, comes back in season five. God damn. That's fucking uncanny. Yes, number one comes back at the end of season five. I'll be honest, I can't even remember who number one is. So, the Mars Resistance leader. Oh the yeah, the one that should have had her own TV, her own TV show because she was oh, so my... fucking cool. Yeah, she's got the like, badass coat. Yeah, and the like great nineties like yeah. girl boss hair. Oh god, yeah. yeah. Who's totally ready to kill Franklin before she sleeps with him? Yeah, like if there's anybody who deserved to be a prisoner reference. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Although I'm sure JMS says it isn't. Oh, I know that's, that's gotta be a prisoner reference, but it's just like, if you've got a, she deserves to be it. Um, the, yeah. There are a ton of prisoner references throughout Babylon five. Oh yeah. Including this yeah. episode, I believe this episode has in this episode. He actually admits it though. Yeah. One of our favorite things to do <laughs> is read the, uh, JMS speaks pages for these episodes where he claims to have not noticed that he was referencing Lord of the Rings or whatever it is. Um, and then make fun of him for it. That's fair. So. I just realized we haven't said the actual name of this episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so we are covering uh, season five, episode 13. The core is mother. The core is father. Yes. Uh, <laughs> written by JMS and directed by our buddy, Stephen First. Rest in peace, Bless Stephen him. First. I yeah, lo- right? I love, a yeah. Good, I love a good actor-directed episode. There's some good ones. And I think he's one of the, one of the good ones here. So, yeah. And like I always loved, I always loved seeing like Jonathan Frakey's or um, Levar Burden directing a TNG episode. It just like made me feel good yeah. inside. Jude, I believe you have uh, deigned to bless us with a summary for this episode. <laughs> Very brief. Very brief. <laughs> it's only two and a half pages, everyone. It's it's more like three. Let's be honest with our guest. Uh, <laughs> For the sake of our guest and any new listeners uh, that his presence may bring to us, no, uh, I don't plan on being brief. Uh, that's what we're supposed to be doing here, but I, that's not it's not what I do. Wait, you love brief? When? <laughs> <laughs> See, he is my friend. I don't know what I find more unnerving about this opening scene in what I presume is a Psycor headquarters. The stark white text on black sign that says, Obey. Uh, it's not in Comic Sans, but that's about its only saving grace. Uh, or the fact that Bester's boss just calls him Al. <laughs> They're both weird and creepy, but it's probably the, the sign. Then he starts joking around with two very eager young interns, and you get the sense of where this episode is going to go. And the creep fa- factor gets cranked up to like 11. They are promising young recruits, and Bester is being asked to show them the ropes before they are put into the field. He readily assents and leads them away. As they walk, they talk about B5. One of the interns, Chen Hikaru, has been enthusiastically following the news about B5, presumably Byron's colony. 
But Bester gently tells him that not to overthink it. Not everything is about B5. B5 is not the center of the universe. Cut to some shit about B5. <laughs> Namely, a lamely stereotypical depiction of someone with, me with mental health issues babbling to themselves about their mind. Uh, and then they find a B5 tourist brochure. Why is there... We'll get there. Why there is a B5 tourist brochure in a Psychor training office? I don't know. That's fine. Uh, I have questions about what would be in a B5 tourist brochure. Play baseball in a cylinder. Get caught in a weird alien encounter. I don't know. See a military coup. Or an alien dick. It's weird. Come to B5. As he leaves this creepy office that he's in, uh, we see a dead man on the floor. Dun, dun, dun. Time for the shitty credits. Uh, I normally skip the credits, but uh, I was warned that these credits were different enough to be worth watching for once. I normally love the B5 credits, uh, but season five is a real stinker compared to seasons one through four, so I don't. But this time, uh, I don't know, Justin, Anna, if you guys watched them. Nope. I, I, I didn't even no. know there was a thing until uh, I saw the GMA Speaks. I, yeah. I, I did. I did. And it broke my heart. That... They're bad. They're bad this season. So bad. But uh, also this time the around... curse of Babylon, man. The curse of Babylon hurts. Yeah. This time, as they get to the end, normally where you would see the Babylon Five logo, it is the Psychor logo, which says "Trust the Core." Uh, cool, great. I'm glad they spent the CGI budget on that. Uh, then I hit skip to get through the credits uh, because I don't like this this song. It's very bad. Uh, back in the Psychop base, Bester and his babies, which is how I will be referring to them in, collect in Collective, are watching two trainees uh, doing Psychop practice. They are scanning and blocking each other. They trade sides in increasing in increments of time to build their conditioning so they can eventually withstand a deep scan for an hour, something a normal telepath could never do without dying. The babies watch and we get a comically bad CGI depiction of scanning and blocking in which the scanner looks not a little bit like a chonky shadow ship playing Pong is I think the best way I could describe that. We're going to go. I'm going to go to bat for this once you're done with us. Oh, oh good. I'm, I'm excited for this conversation because I hate this scene a lot. And so I'm excited to argue about it. The babies look freaked. How can they stand it? The second in turn, Ashley asks, constant exposure, Bester says. He lectures them as they leave about how it takes a certain kind of person to be a psychop, one who can endure certain things and do certain things. Hikaru thinks he means someone ruthless, but Bester corrects him that it's, that it's only ruthless as a last resort. These people are family. The point of the training is to make it so that psychops are able to withstand the rogues they chase so that they can be brought back safely. I have lots of thoughts about this speech, uh, and we'll get there at the end. But for once, I didn't put them in the summary. Uh, he takes them to a room to watch a video about a blip who was rescued. But before they get far into it, a woman enters and whispers something to Bester. He stops the video, which looks, honest to God, like a corporate training video. I've seen enough of these. I've worked for enough big companies to know when, when I see one. Uh, and takes them to the scene of the killing from earlier in the episode. A totally normal thing you would do with two interns. Uh, the man who died was apparently a student of Bester. The boss from the first scene tells him that the murder was the victim's roommate. 
who had apparently been acting strange and was a P-10. On a normal cop show, Besser would be told that he's too close to, to this situation and would have to investigate on his own. But this is the psychor, so the boss is all, you'll be motivated by vengeance, go fuck him up. Which I think is hilarious and indicative of exactly what kind of a place the psychor is. Uh, boy howdy, this scene's a scene. That evening, intern Ashley knocks on Bester's door. She apparently has ditched the concert that all the young folk were at. She's flustered by having seen a dead body and apparently horny. Bester says it's always hard to see a dead one of us, but the mon with mundanes, it's easier. She asks how he entered the Corps, and he tells her about being orphaned and found through the foster system. As she's leaving, she offers to stay the night, and Bester gently and honestly very kindly refuses? How is Bester, the worst psychop we've ever seen, behaving with more integrity than literally every psychor mentor we've ever had described in the history of the show? Every time a woman who's a telepath on this show describes a mentor, they, they describe an unhealthy sexual relationship. And Bester, who is the most demented psychop we've ever seen, is like handling the situation with grace and decorum. I super weirded out by this whole situation. He, he, he fucks blips rather than fucking interns. Dude. I mean, he, it's like yep. he... He is I mean, like, yes, he does have one on, on ice. Like, his whole reason for refusing is like, no, I've already got a weird, ethically dubious side piece. So, yes, I'm not saying he's perfect, but, like, I feel like we'll get there. I'm just saying, this scene is fucking weird. It's fucking weird. After she leaves, uh, his boss with a good mustache arrives to tell him that they've tracked the telepath to his favorite place in the universe, Babylon 5, at which point Stephen first, bless his heart, does a zoom right out of a goddamn single camera comedy zooms up on ba Besser's face as he gives this like, it's <laughs> mm, like frowny grumpy face. And you can hear <laughs> the soundtrack in the background as the laugh track plays. And it goes, wah, 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 wah. it's so good. I love it. I, that scene made me, I had to pause the playback and wind it back and watch it again. I laughed so hard. I, I did not remember that from the last time I watched this episode, but God bless Stephen first for that fucking bit of, of camera work right there. And Kurtig like eats it up too. Oh, I know. It's, it is so fourth wall breaking. It's unbelievable. The murderer's name, it transpires, is Harris. Uh, and he's been trained in interrogation. Cool. Uh, as the boss lays out the plan, Hikaru asks why they don't just contact the ship that he's on. The, bo the boss doesn't quite call him a fucking doof, but the tone is there as he explains that we don't work with mundanes, ya yuts. Plus, also, this is a family matter, Bester says. He's a P-10 and he just mindfucked the crew for one thing, but mostly it's a family matter. They don't want the mun mundanes to know that anything ever goes wrong in the psychor. Uh, <laughs> I think they got the memo. That, that, that things go wrong in the psychor. Just throwing that out there. But sure, okay, it's a family ma matter. I get that. Um, after everyone has left, the boss tells Bester that, oh, by the way, just FYI, also the guy is trained in attack probes. He's a mind shredder. I have thoughts about the fact that you name your, your, your occupational tracks. I'm a senior DevOps two 
in my company, this guy gets to be a mind shredder. That seems unfair. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. On B5, Harris is in the down below casino and sits down to play a game, which turns out to be blackjack. It looks like a fucking wonky kind of blackjack, but that's B5 for you. It's space blackjack. Space I thought it blackjack. was Hold'em at first, but because it's like, well, we'll get into this. We'll get into this yeah. about the about the about the usefulness of telepathy and blackjack. Well, he doesn't. He isn't <laughs> using telepathy to play the blackjack. Right. No. He, yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh no. We get we get into this. There's another problem with this, but I'll I'll go into that. But. Yeah. Uh, he says he's never played before. Shortly thereafter, he is shown to have cleaned out the table, and he leaves, watched by a man at another table. Uh, a different man follows him into the cor- corridors and confronts him, accusing him of cheating and demanding his money back. Harris panics, saying, don't, don't, you'll make him upset, and then proceeds to uh, kill him by stir-frying his brain till blood comes out of his eyes. Or perhaps shredding it. Yeah. <laughs> Ding. Um, as depictions of killing someone with telepathy go, I don't mind this one. It looks... All right. Not bad. Um, I feel like it's very hard to depict somebody getting, like, killing someone with telepathy. And short of somebody just, like, falling over dead, this one's not bad. It's it's much it's much less effective than an anime where you can, like, send someone to the shadow realm or some shit. And it's yeah. much more visibly interesting. Yeah. I feel like short of, like, their entire head just, like, bursting like a water balloon, this is not <laughs> bad. Um... As he walks away, the first guy from the table that was watching him play blackjack creeps out of the shadows like a fucking weirdo and then follows him. In B5 Arrivals, Bester and his babies arrive and are confronted by Zack, who does his usual snarky banter. But this is actually a really interesting scene uh, because the episode has shifted its focus and has made Bester the protagonist. Zack's snark sounds super juvenile and buttholy. Um, granted, Zach's snark is never the most sophisticated. It's always a little bit like juvenile and buttholy, but it sounds particularly petty this time around. My favorite part, however, is 100% when Bester tells Ashley a dirty joke telepathically and she cracks up and Zach immediately gets self-conscious and, uh, is worried about what it is that Bester and this pretty female telepath are laughing at. Um, that is some like a grade bester, like, you know, messing with Zach's machismo, which I appreciate. Bester buys the location of Harris's quarters from a drowsy fence and then heads off to alert B5 security. He orders the babies to watch the door, but not engage while he's done. Hikaru, who honestly has not presented himself as being particularly bright, uh, (laughs) proves that intuition to be completely accurate uh, by using a security door hacking device that he quote used to break into the girl's dorm at the academy fucking gross uh, to try to get into (laughs) the quarters Uh, Ashley the reasonable one despite her attraction to Bester tries to get him to not do it but he does not listen Uh, he goes in trips over a corpse and screams like an elephant startled by a mouse in a cartoon. B5 security shows up, giving us another opportunity for Zach to snark at Bester. Uh, but this time, Ashley snarks back, which is pretty funny. Uh, I'm into it. This dead guy is a card counter, 
Uh, and Bester surmises that Harris ripped the ability out of his brain in order to cheat earlier. I have some thoughts about this. Oh, um, many thoughts. This, the so last couple thoughts? of episodes, the last couple of episodes have, this whole season has really played loosey goosey with the telepathic power suite. And like this episode is just like, oh yeah, by the way, if you want to, you could just gank someone's skills right out of their skull. And I feel like if this was something that JMS had thought of a couple seasons ago, we would have heard of this. I mean, but that's it fine. sounds like maybe you've got to kill someone to do it so or inflict a huge amount of trauma. So maybe uh, that's why. Yeah, maybe. I feel like you're giving JMS more credit than he deserves. This is probably something that's covered in a book. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Also, something common about that scene, but we'll come back to it later. Specifically on that topic. Okay. Excellent. You're being far more reserved. Usually uh, I'm inject interjecting into these summaries at great frequency. Zach then tells him that we have yet another corpse in Med Lab 1. This corpse has had his brain scrambled and Franklin assumes it was done telepathically. Bester blandly assures him that it wasn't Harris since only a P12 can scramble a brain in this particular way. And Harris was a P10. Couldn't you have gotten his rating wrong, Franklin asks? No, we don't make those kinds of mistake mistakes, Bester assures him calmly, which I will grant you of all the mistakes that the Psychor is likely to make, and they make a lot of mistakes. Oh, yeah. I feel like accurately nailing how we can exploit someone, i.e. Their, <laughs> si their, their P rating is probably not one they make very frequently. I feel like that's something they're pretty good. Before they start experimenting on them. Before, yes. After, <laughs> that's a whole nother situation. But, you know, before, I feel like they got that down pretty pretty good. In any case, in the hall, oh, uh, I will make a note here that this is a rare opportunity in this season. I hate to admit it, but I have not gone to dunk on fucking Franklin in like 20 episodes. Uh, apparently Franklin is <laughs> such a shitty doctor that he doesn't know how to pronounce the word aneurysm because he calls it an aneurysm. And I'm just throwing it out there. I, this is, this is why you have like, okay, I've seen this on Star Trek. I assume that it's on other shows as well. Like, at, or maybe normal shows have this, but like they have a pronunciation guide for just random words. So this sort of thing doesn't happen. It was the nineties guys. <laughs> <laughs> this I mean, was the nineties. I've seen that. This no, is just no, it's it's the twenty it's the twenty-third or whatever goddamn century it is, and Franklin's a fucking idiot. And he didn't go to med school. He just slept around with everything that moved and was a borderline sexual predator, and he doesn't actually know what an aneurysm is. He's just reading the words off his goddamn medical <laughs> scanner. That's what's wrong. Franklin is gross and weird. <laughs> Sticking to it. Hey, at, at, at least the mispronunciation isn't censors. Censors. <laughs> and, and are we really going to mispronunciations in an episode which features Walter Koenig? <sighs> I love Walter Koenig. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he does have a very unusual dialect, doesn't he? I love, But it's his, though. That's like, but it's his. But that's like his accent or dialect or whatever you want to call it. This is Franklin just not knowing what the word aneurysm is. It's all it is. This, God, this next scene is so good. There's some, there's some wild shenanigans going on in this next scene. 
uh, in the hall, a much less calm Bester tells his babies that something very bad is going on and sends Ashley to get a full inventory of Harris's quarters and Hikaru to check every other place on B5 where you can gamble. I feel like there's got to be a fuck ton of places where you can gamble on B5. B5 is basically like a shitty space Vegas. Plus, you know, <laughs> war crimes. Like, the fact that he thinks that this is like a handful of places, like, maybe, I, I don't know. I just feel like he's he's grossly underestimating the number of places you can get into an illegal card game on B5. Here, here's what I think about this. I think Bester is much more clued into how B5 is run than the people who actually run B5. <laughs> oh, absolutely. 100%. <laughs> also, he's sending Hikaru. Remember that. He's not yeah. sending the good one. He, he's, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, yeah. I was like, he's sending the disposable. He's sending the spare. I was like, I have it in my notes of like, I'm calling it now. He's, yeah. He is uh, dead fucking meat. Yeah. Oh, man. The, the, that's instant, the instant that he gets out that, like, security door thing, it's like go, he's dead. It's more yeah. accurately, go wander around down below until something bad happens. Yeah. And sure enough, uh, he wanders into what is absolutely some sort of, like, makeshift bar, uh, looking with all the subtlety of Franklin's day-glow rayon casual wear, and asks the bartender if he's seen Harris. Uh, the bartender who is one of those, I, I couldn't figure out who he was, but this is one of those like bit actors that you have seen in every Star Trek franchise. He's one of these like weirdly shaped actors that you have seen with various prosthetics shaped. on. He is. He's got like his head looks like a bully yeah, bill and he's, he's like 18 miles wide. And anyway. Uh, I, I, I understand completely what you mean, but it's just, it's very funny when you like vocalize and I'm like, yes, he is oddly shaped. He looks like, oh gosh, gosh, looks on a Troy's aid, Mr. Mr. Home. Thank you. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Yes. He looks like if Mr. Home did steroids <laughs> is what he looks like. Um, So he's talking to this bartender and the bartender is about to tell him a fascinating Pakmara fact when Hikaru spots Harris and bolts before you can find out the answer. I was so mad when I was watching the episode. I want to know what is in a Pakmara's hump. You don't know I what's in the Pakmara's hump? Well, I looked it up. Now I do know. Oh, well, I do well, know. we'll talk about that. We'll yeah. talk about it. But I looked it up and now, yeah, now I know. And I'm no. glad I know because it change some stuff for me when I when I read what that was what it was anyway he is in a hallway attempting to contact Bester when someone turns him around and shanks him in the heart rest in peace Hikaru you probably got a, a an easier death than you deserved because he initiated a call his murder was caught on camera so when uh, Zach summons Bester and Ashley to his office to show them the footage. They have a nice little video feed of Hikaru getting shanked, but all they can see of his murder is the right hand, which is very clearly uh, not Harris's hand. Uh, and also handily has a distinctive tattoo. Yeah, which never comes up again. Yeah. <laughs> they make a big deal out of like... how distinctive this tattoo is, and it's not a plot point. Oh, it definitely feels like something that is like 
that was supposed to be a thing, but then they're like, but then, but the Jameis is like, shit, this has got to be forty-four minutes. Also, in to, for Stephen first, he does transition the shot based on the hand tattoo. Yeah, that's true, and, and that's a nice little shot. But like, uh, this man, it turns out, is Bryce, the guy that watched Harris murder the uh, the first guy with his brain. Uh, he apparently has worked out a deal with Harris after having witnessed him both cheat at cards and telepathically kill. Uh, they are in the they are in someone's quarters uh, talking, and it's revealed that Harris doesn't remember how he got from the Psychor training center to B five. He just wants to get enough money to get far away. Bryce very clearly doesn't uh, want to let this golden goose get away. Uh, and he's kind of stringing Harris along a little bit, trying to figure out how he can get some more credits out of him before he leaves. In going through Harris's files, Bester notes that there's different handwritings and names on the on it, within those files, as if multiple people were using them. Uh, and Ashley finds a recording of an off-hours training session between Harris and his roommate. Together, they surmise that the training session must have unlocked multiple personalities, one of whom is a P12, which, Bester says, is rare, but has been known to happen. Bester has Ashley check the other names that they find in his papers against the station's manifest, and apparently it works, because the next shot is the security and psychops cornering Harris and Bryce in a hall. Bester very briefly tries to reason with him, but the shooting breaks out before he can get through. Bester takes a shot before Ashley can get hit, and when they dig Harris out of the wreckage of the shooting, he babbles like a child about all the personalities in his head. And that's kind of the end of the conflict. In the, after the fight in Med Lab, Bester snarks at Franklin, uh, but recognizes that he is an idealist who doesn't hate telepaths. Then Ashley show, shows up and tells him Zach has released both Bryce and Harris into their custody. Bester should know this about Franklin, though, because Franklin, like, well, Bester doesn't know that Franklin ran the railroad, though, does he? Yeah, no, he doesn't know that. Um, this scene is actually kind of good. Like, there's some interesting banter between Franklin and uh, Bester in this scene. I just hate Franklin so much, I can't be bothered to actually summarize it in any depth. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Welcome to the Babylon Project. <laughs> uh, they take Bryce and Harris into custody. On the shuttle in hyperspace, Ashley offers to give Bester a very non-HR-approved back rub uh, and tells him that he's a hero, that she's never met anyone who fights so hard for their people. Then she spaces Bryce, very casually, super chill, uh, and Bester says she might have she might be Psychor material after all. There's your episode. Where to start with this? Uh, <laughs> maybe with the oh, car, maybe with oh. the car, just to like get it out of the way. Turtles all the way down, man. Just Turtles like he got down. taken right out of the way. So first of all, Hikaru is obviously a reference to Sulu. Yes, he no. In JMS speaks, it says that he's a reference to to Sulu. Okay, but also because this is uh, Shen Hikaru, we're just mixing Chinese and Japanese names here. It's the future, man. It's a cultural <laughs> melting pot. Yeah, don't you it know? just feels like very like. <laughs> This is uh this is Bester's last episode of uh Babylon 5 and so I think it was a a sort of send off to to Bester to have Hikaru. Okay. So I'm going to 
say like there, there's a certain episode that this reminds me of. This is a much better like, and that is and now for a word, and mm, I'm gonna go into it because it is it is pulling back from B five and presenting B five in a very different way. I think mm-hmm. we we I think we collectively, I, I we collectively as the three hosts were a little bit down on that episode, but this does it incredibly well. Yeah, no, I think this my my very first impression of this episode. Uh, within very few, like I said at the top, very shortly into this episode, uh, you you definitely get the sense of what they're trying to do with this episode of casting Bester as like the protagonist and depicting it from Psychor's point of view. But I think it really does speak to either JMS's writing on this script or Stephen First's direction. I don't know because the script's been so routinely fucking crummy this season <laughs> that like, I think Steven first may have elevated this one a little bit, or maybe JMS just got, got a, like a harebrained great idea and really like locked in on this one, but very possibly both. It's very subtle the way that they don't like overdo it to make like Bester look like this glorious hero of the core. He's still Bester. Yeah. Nothing he does yeah. is, out of character or depicted in a way that is not Bester. Yeah, Koenig doesn't play him any differently. No, he's still Bester all the way through, but they just, they give him a context in which the things he does make him look like the hero he thinks he is. Yeah. And again, I think it really does show, especially in this episode, uh, one of the things that Walter Koenig Walter Koenig actually talked has talked about this in interviews where he would he has said that he would rather be remembered for playing Bester than he would rather than be remembered for playing Chekhov. And like he really does love the character of Bester. Yeah. And again, like the character of Alfred Bester is again just this for one is a tribute to one of the greats of sci-fi itself. Yeah. Um the stars are destination if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. It's like, or at least it's the person who wrote the Star Star Destination. I can't yeah. quite remember. Um, but it is. And I think this episode is very much the, what if we looked at the world through a different point of view? Yeah. No, I I, I totally get wanting to be remembered for this character and not uh, a bad Russian accent that tapped buttons and, and drove a ship. Because Chekhov didn't always get the best. I mean, I, I haven't watched no. OG yeah. Trek no. in a I'm- hot minute. But my recollection is Chekhov did not get the best action it, it in, was in a, the original series. Yeah, I mean, original series is sort of a, I mean, it's it's your big three and then associated. And yeah, well, even in the movies, like, doesn't check. He, he's basically a red shirt that doesn't die. That's my recollection yeah, yeah. of Chekhov. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah that's and, accurate. And gets to make funny comments that don't really make sense. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. like, and Chekhov, at least in like the the context of the original series, like Walter Koenig, bless his heart, was added to the show for sex appeal. Yeah. <laughs> and do you actually see it in the way that he is shot? And yeah. you see it and like, it's, it's, yeah, it's hilarious. I, I, I do find very fun, uh, but it's like, um, I mean, like, this is like Koenig has obviously in the 30 years since matured as an actor and he's being given like a central a, a big focused role to do that with. I can see why that's obviously he wants to do like, why he'd be one of remember for this. 
Yeah. It's such a good character. And, and like, again, he, he elevates the character and there is a certain amount of, there was only so much he had to go with. He brings in all these details, like yeah. the hand thing. Yeah. 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 That, that's all him. Yeah. The fact that he wears the glove, even the glove on his, on his dead hand, even at home. Yeah. Uh, apparently was a choice that he made. No, I, I, he really elevates this character. And I think that's one thing I really like about this episode is that it's consistently bester to kind of go back to my original point was that it's, it's all, it's, it's always bester. It's not a, a caricature of bester shown from Psychor's mm-hmm. point of view. It's just within the, within the context of Psychor, you see why it is that he's respected and revered not just feared. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really what makes this episode work so well. You get why these interns treat him with this hero worship. Yeah. And also sort of why he's, and he's such a, he is so snarky around, around blips (laughs) as he would call them of this, like, Oh, you think you're smart. You think you actually have power. You don't, you don't threaten me whatsoever and that's sort of where when especially when he was interacting with garibaldi and also now to zach allen who's sort of like the you're not as you're not you zach i bantered garibaldi you're not garibaldi um <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're just a jerk and kind of rude whereas garibaldi garibaldi was on some level potentially a threat because he is paranoid enough to be useful you're not even that. And he's paranoid enough to be fun, too. Yeah. 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 There's a thing where Bester, like, in, he does enjoy toying with people and, like, identifying their buttons and pressing them. Yeah. yeah. He, I, this is, I, I think it's something that's great about Bester is that he is, I mean, he's basically, I mean, he's been the same character through all five seasons. He, I, Koenig's betrayal has sort of been consistent and I mean, it's always been, he is somebody who is, he is very much in the mood of, I am, he is very convinced that he is in the right and that what he's doing is the best for his people. And we get, we get some interesting backstory for that of like, that he was taken in by the court as a baby instead of discovered later in life, which is interesting. Rescued out of a foster care system. Yeah. Um, and Which this episode for me also um, shows why Lockley respects him mm-hmm. because, you know, he's in tracking this murderer. He's largely efficient and professional. And I could see if Lockley has only ever seen that side of him, her definitely thinking that he's all right and a good person to work with. Yeah. If she's never seen him in full on like, pain in the ass. Oh, by the way, we carved up your ex-girlfriend to see what her brain did mode. I get that maybe that she would not necessarily think he's the devil. Yeah. And and literally the the nightmare that Ivanova has. Yeah, I think Ivanova also is that's a really interesting point is the the early seasons of our our view of uh Bester are very much influenced by Ivanova who has this deep, deep, deep hatred of Psychor and fear of Psychor that I wanted to, to mention was his speech early on 
about when he's talking to the babies in the hall after they watch the two uh, the two trainees battling back and forth, and he talks about family, how they're all family, and that's how he yeah. views them, and how the reason why they train the way they do is so that psychops can withstand whatever the rogues and the blips throw at them so that they can bring them back safely, so that they don't have to hurt them to bring them in and help them. And you get the impression that he he's not being snarky, he's not being he's not mm-hmm. bullshitting them, that he genuinely believes every word he's saying there. That yeah. Yeah. he does believe that this is why they are effectively torturing themselves to make themselves stronger so that they can endure whatever is thrown at them so that they can bring these people back because he believes that they are family and they need to be protected and helped. And yeah. that's, you never get, it, it's never entirely clear whether Bester is sadistic or a true believer. It's never always clear in the earlier episodes, but this episode very, very much makes it clear that Bester is Magneto and not like... <laughs> Thank you. Okay, I didn't, get, <laughs> I didn't have to say it. Some other like sociopath, not like, you know... He's he's a true believer. He believes in the cause and he believes in his people and he's entirely comfortable committing crimes against mundanes in the name of his people. And I think it's I think it's actually uh picks up nicely off of the end of Phoenix Rising too. Um mm. where you know Bester is there in disbelief, just complete and utter disbelief that Byron would end things the way that he did. You know, within the context of that episode, it's like, for fuck's sake, Buster, how can you not believe this? One of my notes on that episode was, this cannot fucking be the first person to kill themselves rather than go with Buster. Yeah, I mean, what do they say that, like, it, it, they say, there's a statistic quote in the episode that 42.5% of blips commit suicide within nine months. And the implication you can at least kid is how many of them would rather commit suicide than go back? And, you know, that, and, you know, that's a very flimsy, that's a very flexible statistic. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah, in the context of this episode, mm-hmm. Phoenix rising hits a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. In the sense that it does make his incredulity in that situation, at least somewhat, it makes his incredulity more believable. He's still an enormous butt for the way he handled yeah. that situation. <laughs> to put it gently, he fucks that whole thing up dramatically. So yeah. But at least at, at a minimum, you can understand that he genuinely doesn't believe, doesn't understand why they are why they would rather die than come back to the core. <laughs> yeah. I mean one of the other things early on is like, I knew that you'd want to be part of this, Al. You'd want to see justice done. And he's like, hmm. And if you think about it, he doesn't see justice done. He doesn't take vengeance. He does like the guy killed a student of his and his immediate response isn't gun the person down. His response is, this is somebody who is not in control of themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We like 
this needs this is a person who needs our help not our vengeance yeah yeah he he's very he's very clear that like harris needs to be protected but that human that was willing to take advantage of him dump him out in airlock he 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 that that's just trash yeah yeah gosh that's a that's a test for your loyalty this is a yeah. test to see because they could have just left him there. It's like, no, no, no. This is a test to see if you have what it takes to be a psychop. Can you dispose of a human life because it's not a telepath? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple of conversations throughout the course of this episode to dramatically reinforce how little like how little Besser thinks of mundanes. When the the conversation in his apartment and in, in yeah. one other place where mm-hmm. he's just like, they just don't matter. Yeah, I mean, it's because I mean, it's because Bester is a true believer. And I mean, we're go and he to bring another X-Men villain into this. There are <laughs> uh, I mean, we're, we'll, we'll go like it's there are two X-Men villains that Bester represents in this episode and specifically and specific points of their those writings. This is Magneto pre approximately 2005 because after 2005, everybody who writes the X-Men realizes that Magneto was right and writes it <laughs> as such. Um, yeah. And, but also this is a pre like last five years or so apocalypse of Bester has been raised in an environment to recognize that Humans and telepaths are not compatible. That, or at least he believes that they are two separate species, at least, and or that they are the species next stage. specifically. Yeah, 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 and that they are better. And he has been raised in a framework and has bought in completely into that framework that they are superior, and also that humanity at large will hurt them and persecute them, and so. I mean, he's bought into that fully. And so he is the, you know, at least from his end, he is the most outward crusader for tele- mm. for telepaths. He is going to protect telepaths, but he is also going to see that, you know, wrongs against telepaths are corrected. Whether that is yeah. spe- spacing somebody who killed a trainee psychop or helping another telepath to recover. One of the things about this episode, I had forgotten how abrupt the ending comes. It feels like we lost like 15 minutes of script. And it was like, there's a certain amount of like this show, this episode really, you could feel that they were running out of budget in season five. And like, you could tell from the sets at the beginning, which literally were just like, uh, is there an office building somewhere, which we we have access to for like, I I have a note. I have a note about the design on these buildings. Because this looks like the first, I, my very first job was in 1997 in the tech industry. And this looks like the office I worked in. If somebody put up some spacey looking like accent bars across the walls and hung some signs that said obey on them. Yeah. <laughs> core is mother, core is father, <laughs> trust the core. Yeah. Yeah. I think there is something about like how banal it is that actually works. Yeah, it really works. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, like, it feels so corporate. And one of the things that stood out to me is that there's no windows. And the doors are all analog. 
They're wooden doors with door handles. They're not sci-fi in the slightest. Yeah. Yeah. But also, like, the, and again, like, that felt like it was possibly, like, there's that banal, so banal, and, like, that, that level. But I think, but there's also that, like, I, I really felt like there was something missing from the mid part of this, which is one of the things that I'm almost sad that we never got to see through the course of the series with Bester is an interaction with a non-human telepath. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Fuck, yeah, we never do. We never see that, do we? Unfortunately, the yeah. series is not very interested in the in non-human telepaths. I mean, there is a scene where he's like encountering a Minbari telepath, but they don't actually speak. Yeah. Yeah. And like that that's the thing. Like we know that like we know that there are significant non-human tele- telepaths, but yeah, the show never really even is interested in them. They're not very important to the narrative. But it would have just been interesting for me. It's like, what is his opinion on non-human telepaths? Yeah. Unless they're telepathic cave people. We've talked about we've talked about that previously on the show. <laughs> the telepathic cave people from once all, all telepathic genes were extracted. Mm. But I mean, we 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 know that like the I we we talked about this in the previous episode, like the the Centauri have it or have it in very much a guild structure, and the Minbari like elevate them religiously. And yeah, it would be interesting to see how like he feels about those. Yeah, because we we've talked about this also in the context of Byron's mission, where he's like presuming to speak on behalf of all telepaths of all species and it's like yeah. i'm i don't think that the mimbari or the centauri telepaths are have gonna this problem yeah. go to your planet buddy like yeah they're There's, they're fine was I mean, it was phoenix rising where bester makes a comment about the other culture's telepaths wasn't it when he's giving his little like mission speech and he says like all every cultures species. yeah they control them through other ways yeah yeah every species controls its telepaths somehow yeah. yeah. And he references like, yeah, business or, or religion. Yeah, it's interesting that like none of the other races seem to treat t- telepathy like the next step of evolution. It's just the humans that seem to have that brewing conflict. Well, I think part of it, it might be that I think a lot of the other species are more comfortable with the idea of mysticism. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense to me that Nimbari with, you know, that mm. all of their kind of spiritual underpinnings, their society would immediately look, look at a telepath and be like, this person is special. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, yeah, this person has a, been touched by the universe. It's not Minbari. It's not the next step in Minbari. It's just Minbari with some extra stuff going on. Or or the Centauri who have that like weird prophetic thing. It's yeah. not telepathy. I don't know what the fuck it is, but it's really cool. And all of them kind of have it to a degree. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it actually is a reflection of how J. Michael Straczynski wrote human society. And one of the things is he, like, even though we're the humans are the protagonists and the good guys, EarthGov is kind of really fascist. And like even in yeah. a good even the B five B five are nominally the good guys, but Earth is yeah. not. De- humans yeah. definitely aren't the good guys in this show. <laughs> That's fair. Like nobody's really the good guys. But. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. we we've joked before that like EarthGov is real. It is JMS extrapolating the mid you know the mid nineties neoliberal 
yeah. U.S. government into the 23rd century. And it's surprise, surprise, it's kind of fascist. Yeah. And if you and if you think about it in those terms of well, of course, because either tel- telepaths are the next step, or they're an aberration and must be destroyed. I, God, when did we do this? Is like we're going back to like episode two or three of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> but it was, but it was, you know, how does you know something like modern America view? a deviation from the norm. It is either something to be crushed and erode, eroded or something to be exploited. Yeah. Obviously. We, well, there's a psycho right there. Yeah. Yep. Which and I, I do think the it's interesting to talk about psycho as it's presented here. Um, yeah. Which is, I think it's, I think it's interesting because it is, I mean, it is a society Unto itself, that it's. I think it's Anna who noted that there are no windows in any of the psychor rooms. Except walls. Bester's. Yep. Yeah, only walls. Except Bester's apartment. Yeah, which are. I mean, those are. It is both a. If we want to, if we wanted to get into like uh, an, an analysis of this, it is both a way of keeping people in and not seeing it out, but it is also of keeping people who don't belong out. What goes on in there? One wonders why we don't. Why we like? It's told that like telepathic conversation is easier. We're told that through the series. Like, why don't why don't psychics talk to each other, like telepathically? And obviously, the answer is because it makes for shitty television. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but they make it into a plot point because it's part of Byron's part of why Byron's little colony. They, it's that's so part creepy. of yeah, but they, that's part of Byron's colony's thing is that they they engage in in open telepathic conversation. They don't talk to each other verbally. They do everything telepathically, and it becomes part of their culture. And it's one of the things that makes them really look like a cult. Yeah, <laughs> and yet here in Psychor, they're all just hanging out, talking, going to concerts, hitting on each other, breaking into the other genders' dorms. I, I know what it, I'm choosing to yeah. like put Chen's in that the fact of like he's got a girlfriend or something. I just want to like I don't want to put that. I don't want to be. I don't want to focus on the creepy part of that. I want to choose to believe that like that that I I I look at that and like well that's a joke that didn't age well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I mean I know that that's what it is that it's a a joke that didn't age well, but also it's psychor. The home of inappropriate relationships between mentors and students. So, yeah. like, okay, can we talk? About, can we talk about like people having the hots for uh, for Bester? <laughs> no, must we? I, so I, ah. I think we have to. I think it's text here. Yes. No, yes, I, I, we ha- we have to because fucking Ashley wants on Bester's bones so bad, and it's so. Shows uh, up at his door okay. with her hair down. He is so yeah. not exactly. Okay, well, first of all, I'm gonna blow your mind a little bit and throw out we normally have a section called I Know That Face, where we talk about where we've seen bit actors, because Babylon 5 has, I mean, oh yeah, an unbelievable thing. Um, the actress who plays Ashley is Dana Barton. You might not know that name, or maybe you do. She has done nothing since B5 of note, but before B5. She played Audrey Griswold in National Lampoon's Vacation. Wow. 
So just throwing that out there in case you are a person who watched and loved that movie. Audrey Griswold tried to bang (laughs) Fester. So now you've got that in your head. You're welcome. Uh, Yeah, no, it's awful. Uh, And I hate it. I am I am so grateful that Besser does not fuck the intern. It, it's two things. One, I do not think that is uncommon for people to want to fuck Bester because it, it's it's a thing. Bester is charismatic as fuck. Yeah, and he deflects yeah. it yeah. so gracefully. There is no way that he he has not done this like a dozen times, to- like, like a hundred times before. It, he he also just casually inserts before it's even on the table. Casually inserts into the conversation his wife. Yeah, just yeah. brings up, oh yeah, we have a lovely home. She's spending like she's not here. She spends most of her time there. But he just just like I have, I'm, I'm married. That like yeah, no, it, it's yeah, dude, he does. Like, Kodak is like Bester is charismatic as fuck. He is, I, he is a like. It's very easy to see like he is a hero for people inside Psychor. And yeah, no, this totally makes sense that people would fuck him. And yeah, no, he obviously has had this happen before. <laughs> now I'm gonna th- I'm gonna throw a curveball into this conversation and ask: Would Psychor prefer that he did or did not sleep with his inter- intern? Um. So here's my thing. Considering the eugenics program that Psychor has going on, I think they would want him to spread his wild oats. Especially if it's <laughs> with mean, another P12. He's a, he's a strong P12. Yeah, that's what I'm about to say. Like, like there's a certain amount of, I think it's the, like, we would prefer, Al, we would prefer it if you only had children in your pre-described, pre-assigned specifically most compatible genetic makeup. Why? Because that gives us the most amount of control over how this is going to go. But if you're going to start banging interns, buddy, please start with the P12s. That's exactly right. Oh, no. I just had a cursed thought. Uh, Oh, yeah. She's a real 12. God. Oh. Oh. But, uh, yeah, I mean... I think it is interesting that like Bester like just has no interest whatsoever. It, it, it's and he's and it's like he's he's sort of flirting with her too of yeah. like that, but in but in a like way that's de-escalating. If my girlfriend ever like doesn't, de- if it ever turns out I can't defall my girlfriend, I'll definitely nail you one hundred percent. Oh yeah, he makes like the sex joke like to to make to like fuck with zach i mean yeah it's i mean it's like very adult but it's like he's like oh yeah i will recognize that you have the hots for me and like i'm appreciative um yeah and like and he makes that joke too of like when when she's like oh i'm glad that you have you know somebody who you love and cares about you and he's just like haha yeah just don't tell my wife just kidding (laughs) just kidding (laughs) (laughs) yeah um, yeah, no, it's definitely God. I can't. Yeah, and, and then his boss shows up. Like, and yeah. it's literally like because you have to understand. There's not enough time. Yeah, like she had to be like walking in, and so the like boss is like right here, just to do to do sees the door. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's really quick. <laughs> yeah, there's no way his boss didn't see her walking out with her hair down at like ten o'clock at night. And he's totally like. 
Uh, Al just sent another one of them packing. <laughs> I do think it is very funny also. Like, I, I, it is, it is like, I do think it is very funny that his boss calls him Al. <laughs> it really I, is. Oh, God. No, so I actually made a note of this. Yeah. That it's actually interesting that within Psychor, the boss does it particularly because he's the one that talks to the, the widest variety of telepaths. They all refer to each other by their first name. Yeah. He doesn't call, he, he doesn't refer to, the only one that doesn't is Harris. Harris is his last name because he's a murderer. <laughs> but everybody no. else, he calls, he calls Bester Al. He refers to Hikaru as Chen. He refers to the, I can't even remember the, the female She's got two first name. names. I think it's like Ashley Lauren. Yeah, I think it's no, actually. It's, it's the other way around. It's Lauren Ashley. Lauren. Ashley okay. is her last name. I was like, but I yeah. knew it was two first names. I just like it. Yeah, but it's interesting. I thought that was actually a really fucking good touch that it's a family. Yeah. Exactly. So you yeah. refer to everybody by their first name. And I now I want to go back and watch and see if they do that with all the other telepathic interact interactions between psychor telepaths, if all the psychor telepaths refer to, to each other by first in in a, with a, in like a first name basis. Yeah, Bester always does for all the other telepaths we see, but it comes across as a power thing. Yeah. When he's like Talia or yeah. Lita or Byron. Like he's he's always using the first names and it comes across as him being diminutive and overly familiar. And yeah. overly familiar, but maybe it's it's just Psychor. It's, it's just, just Psychor. Yeah. We're family. Yeah, I'm not going to call my I'm not going to call my sister by uh, by her given or by, by by her family name or like by a specialist trainer or something like that. I'm going to be like, no, no. hi, I'm hi, Emily. That's yeah. I'm yeah gonna use her first name. I love. I I really like that touch when I noticed it, and I think it's it's good. Are we ready to fight about this stupid CGI telepath scene? Yeah. Are you ready? I, mean, I was about to say before that. The Pakmara hump. Okay, yes. so what is that? Yes. What is that? What is that? Okay. The Pakmara hump, the hump on the Pakmara, it is the symbiotically bonded female of the species. Shut the fuck up. Nope. That is <laughs> nope. legit what it is. I hate this. It's uh, like it's cool. Fish. It's cool. It's like an angler fish. I hate this. Yeah. It's yeah, it's like other insectoid species where one half of the of the species is what there's a, there's a word for this where the male or the female of the dimorphism species is, dimorphous is dimorphically very different in size and shape uh, is much smaller and is bonded to the thing on its back. And that's where the female is. Yep. So there is some deep Pachmara lore in this, in the, in the greater <laughs> apocrypha of this show. I'd have to imagine it's. And as I say, it's the telling of the. You can tell the people who have seen too much Babylon Five when you mention Pakmara, and you just see people go like this and start tilting their head to the side. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the side of a person who's seen too much Bab Five. We have a joke on the show, or on the show, of w- someday we will play a Babylon Five RPG, um, and Jude's. Uh, Jude's threat of a Actually character. A pretty good RPG. Um, <laughs> Jude's threat of a character has always been to play a Pachmara who will eat everything. <laughs> so, so, so on that subject, I was in a I was in a Babylon Five TTRPG game where we had a Pachmara 
assassin. Oh my god. That is so good cuz then you can just eat the evidence. Well, more importantly, no no no, what he the thing is cuz they have such a venomous bite is he would bite somebody and then like or he would kill them and then would like bite them and then they'd be like why would like this person's obviously he just holds up like lit the list of things that they would eat it's like no 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 obviously a pokemon just came and like went oh hey it's a dead body i'm gonna go because they eat their carrion eaters i'm just gonna walk over just take a nibble oh no there's something wrong with this one <laughs> and then like walk away <laughs> no one was ever going to ask questions about why a dead body is a pokemon oh bite in the middle of it that's funny that's so good <laughs> oh god oh <sighs> When the when the Pokemon got gets the barium contrast milkshake. Oh man, that scene is so good. <laughs> um, oh man. Okay, let's go into telepath CGI. All right. Uh, let's let's before before we get started, let's let's take a uh, an initial show of hands. Who who is on team? This looks fucking stupid. Is it ju- is it just me or I will? Oh, I, there we go. So there, here's the thing. David's I think, got like, his hand I think up. like the actual execu- doing the. Eh. I think the actual execution of the CGI is wow. This is really 1997, and the and and they were at the they were scraping the bottom of the barrel on the CGI budget for this one, weren't they? And they did not have a green screen back there. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, however, from a narrative standpoint and what it's trying to do visually. You have the dude who is doing the deep scan, who is very obviously resembling a shadow ship. And the person who is trying to do the block is in, like, is is an ice cube, which is how those are represented on the telepathic plane back when we see it in season four. Mm-hmm. At the end of the final telepathic <laughs> conflict. So what it's trying to do, I think, is very good. It's just the execution of it doesn't or it it's it's reach far exceeds its grasp. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that, a good, that that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't disagree with that take. I think I don't love the I think my problem is that it it resembles a shadow ship. Only enough to look stupid, not enough to look threatening because it's <laughs> it looks all you know what it is? It's a chibi shadow ship. <laughs> it's not sharp and spidery and threatening. It's all like chonky and blunt and sort of, it doesn't, and it it's moves like the really balls. <laughs> yeah. On the, like, I would have loved it if we had seen, rather than it being the weird shadow tentacles, if it had actually been like, the Vorlon ship tentacles with that like mm. weird patterny stuff. Because again, we know at this point in the narrative, part of the reason why the, all mm. these species have telepaths is because of Vorlon interference. Yeah. And, the, yeah. and the, the shadows aren't even supposed to have telepaths. So that's a really interesting point. Yeah. 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 But I could see why somebody who had seen a shadow ship would picture in their mind yeah, an attack probe as being something like a shadow ship because you know it's a scream in your mind, yeah, and a shadow mm-hmm. over the soul and all that jazz. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I think it's like it is a cool concept that just unfortunately doesn't turn out on screen very well. Which 
Well, I, I was going to say that I like it for a slightly different reason, which is that it's honestly a really nice break from just having two actors stare really intensely at each other <laughs> and yes. us all calling it gripping television. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, yeah. I appreciate that they... I I appreciate that they made the effort, but I... It just... I think Justin summed it up nicely that the the reach far exceeded the grasp on this one. Um, I also hate that if you go to the Babylon 5 wiki under telepathy... A screenshot of this scene <laughs> is on there. Yeah, and it's it not is. even a good it screenshot. It's like oh. a screen capture from a VHS tape. Oh, that's so good. I love that. I love that. Love that. Oh, oh, oh. oh so it's not even the HD. It's so real it's like between the frames. Oh. It's yeah. It's it's real bad. Oh, uh, so it's, it's like old, this. It's like the good old CCG artwork. Uh, yeah, it, for the old yes. CCG, which is all just VHS captures. Yeah, it's it's not great. Oh, they they updated it. This is way clearer than the, than it was before. Oh, can we also talk about the fact that like the the Psychor just has motherships floating around in hyperspace? I I can't believe we have recorded a podcast for like an hour plus and we haven't got we haven't got into this yet. Oh, we haven't talked about that. I love the pun. I love. I, I would not have given Psychor the credit <laughs> of having a a slogan of Core is mother, Core is father, <laughs> that's good. and then that's having real... mother ships. That's good. That's, that's fucking on point. And <laughs> I would not have given them the credit for that. So <laughs> their pun game is on point. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is a question for those who are more familiar with where we are in the story of Babylon 5. Have they talked about what hyperspace does to telepaths at this point yeah uh, a little it, be- in, in so much as it's yeah bester mentions it back um when he helps them rescue his ice girlfriend okay okay so because he and- because he's on the white star like you know taking notes um and helping yeah helping them find the weapons that just happened to be his girlfriend yeah. And it's not quite what we get in again, I'm there is the series Crusade where we get a lot more information as to that. If you have a yeah, if you have a crusade spoiler, just go through that. I cannot give a fuck about it. <laughs> um so yeah, no, Crusade, the actually one of the main characters in Crusade, one of the bridge crew is a post psychor telepath. And uh they actually go a lot into what uh what what hyperspace is like and how it can affect a telepath if they're not prepared and what a telepath who just wanders outside during with like in hyperspace wearing a full shield is like oh now i can see infinity and this is really uncomfortable and then also so, there's aliens that live in hyperspace yeah well yeah and i think we I'm not sure if that got there's the film also third space which is even weirder uh which is you know got to love that got to get our hp lovecraft on yeah. And then there's yeah, the the just so just thinking about that of like considering what hyperspace does to telepaths, the fact that the Psychor maintain a ship that is permanently yeah. in hyperspace at all times. It's pretty buckwild. <laughs> it's like <laughs> that's that's kind of scary actually. That's that's a little bit of fridge horror right there. Yeah, that's some guild navigator shit right there, is what that yeah. is. 
But it feels like it feels like it also would allow them to do essentially super surveillance, right? Like that it helps them keep tabs on everything that's going on. Yeah, I think it would have to. Yeah. And yet they're not invincible. We know they're not invincible because, you know, they've they've gotten their comeuppance in a few times. Well, so they're only human. I have a a note here. An interesting note here that there is a an alternate uh, background story for Bester uh, that was presented in a comic in which he joins the core at the age of 10 years old. That apparently is core propaganda. That's that a they, battle they, tech level shit there. They, uh, yeah, that they like <laughs> rationalize as being core propaganda and that the story he tells Ashley is the true story that he was a, a an orphan that, that joins through Foster. Yeah. Oh, uh, that, that's, that's so good. That, that is, that is a battle tech level thing you do there. Like how do how do we make sure that our cartoon is canon? Well, obviously it's in universe media. <laughs> <laughs> also, speaking of pop propaganda, there's that video that we see the the start of dude, and I'm I'm both like I'm really glad that we didn't see the rest of this HR training video, but I'm also like I need to see the rest of it. I will say this. In the history of science fiction, and I want to be clear, not even science fiction, in the history of television, and I've watched all of the Americans, which makes me, and Buffy, (laughs) I've watched a lot of TV with bad wigs. I mean, I've watched the MCU. I've seen some bad wigs. (laughs) I even watched the first couple of seasons of Arrow. So I am... Yeah, I I would consider myself to be somewhat of a connoisseur of shitty wigs. That is got to be the fucking most lazy goddamn wig I've ever seen. It's like they just grabbed a literal fucking broom, not even a mop. They didn't even make the effort to use a mop. They took a broom and just held it behind him. They didn't even cut it off. They just <laughs> held it behind him at an angle and just used camera angles to not show the stick. See, this is where this is one of the things that makes this video super wild to me because that's got to be that's got to be diegetic, right? Yeah. Like like he's got to be playing a blip in that video. Yeah. And they just slapped the bad wig and like took some- Put some like dirt on his face and called it a day. And that was all they had to do because almost everyone already in Psychor at this point usually gets picked up as a child or as a teenager. They're already so thoroughly indoctrinated that by the time that they see this, they're not gonna call they're not gonna call like that. No, no. No, that's that's a wig. <laughs> and yet these are supposed to be some of the brightest and the sharpest minds <laughs> in humanity. I was actually a little disappointed when I, because I had forgotten that it was, and now a moment uh-huh. um, was the one that had the Psychor ad. Oh, yeah. The commercial for Psychor in it. For, for I, little my Johnny, had, right? Yeah, my brain had somehow like put that into this episode in my recollection. And I was like, where's the Psychor commercial? It's like, oh, yeah, that wasn't this episode. So apparently I had it backwards. I just looked on the wiki 
uh, the version he tells the ver- the version that oh. uh, Bester tells Ashley is the propaganda version. Oh. The comic, uh, interesting. The oh. comic is the true version of his backstory of Bester's backstory, which is more interesting. Ah. Interesting. In which he is the uh, child of res- of uh, telepathic resistance leaders who oh, are shit. killed. And he is renamed after the science fiction writer by his grandfather, <laughs> who doesn't want him to be so who doesn't ever want him to be associated with their names ever again. And then brought up from like near infancy from like the age of. Yeah, very, very little from the time that he was basically a baby. I don't like uh, in Psychor. Yeah, no, it's very, it's, it's, yeah. it's very much a comic book origin. I, it, yeah. It, it, it creates something that like directly contradicts. It feels like it's something that's like taking away from the actual story because I think that like raised in the system as a true believer and like made that way, I think is more interesting, but that's just me. I like, I just. We're, we're like the idea of, you know, the core is literally mother and father to him that. Yeah. He has no perception outside of of family outside of the core because yeah. a lot of like you can think of like a kid coming in at age ten or whatever like they have memories up to that point even if you bring in like a five year old five year olds have memories that was actually my question um, so was he brought in like after his parents were killed as a ch- as like a baby as an infant yeah then maybe he doesn't even know his own true origin. Uh, apparently he he doesn't. His <laughs> so he only knows the story of oh I was in the I was rescued. Yeah, he was his his mother's father was a psychor director, and uh, he was and yeah who who was rescued the ba- who the, who rescued him as a baby from this. Uh, there was a raid. His parents were killed, and he was saved. And brought into a uh, a psychor town and raised in this town from functionally infancy. Okay, so that so that is a part of either backstory. Yeah, it's it's kind of true in the sense that like his his parents were were killed and he was he was orphaned, but rather than going into foster care and being detect and being tr- you know found by what's it called. Uh, uh, the, the random DNA testing. DNA testing. It was his grandfather, and he doesn't know that it was he, he. He never knew that it was his grandfather. His grandfather never like told him who told him who he was. Apparently, I mean that just makes sense. Like the way that again he, it really yeah. does play to the character of he sees all telepaths as his family. Yeah, and are we at least going to touch on like yeah um... wow the 1990s and their depiction of mental illness and dissociative identity disorder and just oh, go yeah. wow this was bad it was re- yeah uh, it's really bad can we just like blow a big raspberry and <laughs> yeah like I, I I this was something I actually wanted to go into when I was talking about like the um the, like the skills that were stolen. And the like the fact that he was a P12, not a P10. And when it's like, oh, this is just dissociative identity disorder. I was like, oh, what I was hoping. And this was always the thing where, like when I'm hearing this of like, yeah, this felt like another one of those psychor experiments gone 
wrong where you have (laughs) basically this guy who's like oh i'm going to basically eat people's minds and now they live inside me and i can access their skills and memories and they like he has that the don't make him mad don't get him angry is actually the personality created the sleeper personality created that's the actual p12 that is the actual mind shredder who can consume minds and add the skills and do all that jazz because mm-hmm. that felt more in line with like things like what happened to Talia with that whole concept of creating those multi-leveled identities and personalities. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And honestly, that might be the truth. <laughs> like that's really plausible. Well, you think that a you think that the Psychor would at least have good psychological testing? Nothing we have learned about the Psychor has has shown that they have any like procedural safety standards. <laughs> but you think that that's something you test for? But again, dissociative identity disorder mm-hmm. is a very severe or a, a very real and challenging well, mental illness. Let's so. then let's assume that this is that is not what hap- what this is. Because it would almost make more sense that it was just somebody who they're like, oh, this person can eat minds. Let's turn them into a living weapon. Yeah, I I think it makes more sense to assume that either it's that it's a side effect of his training or it's something else. It's you're a telepath. You are constantly exposed to all this stuff and his brain shattered. His psyche shattered under the weight of all this telepathic attacks and... In, as a defense mechanism, it rebuilt itself into multiple personalities or something. But I think... Um, and yeah. there, there's existing lore and stuff like that with, like, deep scans and especially scans of, like, the, the stuff with if you're in somebody's mind when they die. And you could think of a mind shredder if you are in somebody's mind right. as you shred it that would have an impact on your own psyche the way that being in somebody's mind when they die has an impact on your psyche. Yeah. This is a hundred percent giving the show more credit than it deserves. (laughs) But I think for, for our sanity, I think it's not inappropriate to say that I think that it doesn't, I don't think it's inappropriate at all to say that this doesn't have to be disassociative identity disorder. Because it doesn't fit with that depiction, you know, the depiction doesn't match the actual yeah. disease, and it doesn't make sense within the within the the lore of the show that fucking telepaths would be unable to detect that in someone. It just it it it, it just doesn't make sense. So making yeah. it and some kind and of it's portrayed as something that just manifested out of yeah, the blue. He just too. snapped, yeah. and like his like his brain just like went kerplooey, and at least from it manifesting right in the blue, that is not what I got. Out of read out of the reading I had for that episode, it was that it was something that he had for a while, and was keeping secret. But his partner in the exercise found during a deep scan. Oh, I got the impression that his partner pushed too deep, and his brain like went krishnappy. And no, what I got was that this was something that he had been dealing with. The deep scan found like the his partner in the deep scan picked up something that was relating to it and he freaked out over it. That, that's okay. what I got from that. Yeah. 
I got the same reading as as Justin, and that's where the like the disappointment came in for me was like because up to that point, I was one hundred and ten percent like, oh, that's <laughs> what this is. This is this is another one of those psychor experiments Weapon gone things, wrong. Yeah. And part of the mind shredder attack probe being in somebody's mind when you are killing them, which again, pointing out like we know that being in someone's mind when they die is this profoundly emotionally disturbing mm-hmm. experience. Imagine being in somebody's mind when you are literally killing them through their mind can, yeah. can only be even more so. And then it's like, no, 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 it's just this. It, it's very reductive. It's very, again, it's, it's poor writing. Yeah. And an otherwise really, in an otherwise a surprisingly above average episode for writing. It's just so lazy in 1990s. I mean, there have been some, I will say like, like the 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 show has not handled mental illness before. I believe there's a like a season two or three episode that also deals with something similar, like a different disorder, but also portrays mental illness in a very like King Arthur. There, there's a bunch of them. <laughs> King yeah. Arthur, which is a good episode, but also like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, also not a good depiction of mental illness. Okay. Well, it's it's. I happen to enjoy that episode because it makes Franklin look like a bag of shit. It's a very good episode. I love that opportunities for me to dunk on Franklin for being an un a completely irresponsible medical professional. (laughs) I mean, what we can learn is that JMS knows fucking jack shit about mental health, but yeah, I'll be interested to see, especially in the nineties. I'll be interested to see having done. Uh, words and things that JMS has written since then. The one with all the people that were. I mean, I fully expect that he yeah. has grown yeah. in twenty five years, and that he is going to, and that he is not going to write this entire fucking new show on his own if it ever gets produced. Which I still contend that the funniest thing would be if the CW falls. That would be and funny. We don't get a new B five show. But like we like, I think that like like we're gonna go on record here. The funniest out like there are two funny outcomes for this. The first is that we have to do another goddamn show. <laughs> yeah. The second one is that we get to the finish line and gets canceled before we ever see the. Pilot. I support his Patreon solely so that I can find out B five no- news, so we know whether or not we're going <laughs> to have get to the do hot this goss. the hot B five goss, so we know whether we're whether or not we're doing it. Uh, another run of this goddamn podcast. Getting hey, the CW. hot B5 goss has got to be really hard because a lot of that stuff's really cold. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised. Uh, I, 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 mean, well, I only joined it after the announcement. JMS is pretty spicy on Twitter. That is fair. I love, God bless him, man. I love that JMS has taken all of his snarky Usenet energy and just poured it onto Twitter. And he I truly was. I, he I understands what Twitter is, which is the Usenet of the 20 teens and 2020s. Yes. I mean, he truly is. He truly was like a trailblazer in terms of creators posting shit on the internet. Yeah. He really was. <laughs> yeah. Let's give him credit yeah. for that. I love, cause he's, I love, I really want him aside from the fact that I want another crack at B5. Cause I want to see it. And cause I think it would be a fast, I, I'm, I'm, personally as like creatively fascinated with remakes and reboots. And I would love to see a creator reboot their own material. That's 
Like, I think that's fucking fascinating. Yeah. But mostly I want Justin to be tortured by another B5 <laughs> run. But well, that's also, how you can tell you're truly, truly Jude's friend. But he yes. wants to see you tortured Bless. by something he loves. Bless. Uh, but also I want to watch. Yeah. Right. Also, I want to watch JMS just be JMS doing B5 on Twitter and just like people fucking like, well, what about this thing? And blah, blah, blah. And like being his full trash Usenet personality and being like, no, it's not a goddamn Star Trek reference. And I didn't name the Rangers after, after Tolkien, all this stuff. Wait, wait. He says he didn't name the Rangers after Tolkien. There's, there's a, uh, there's a JMS speaks. There's a couple of them where what's the one? No, Kaza Doom. Where he where he says that Zaha Doom is not a reference to Kaza Doom. It's like buddy. And we're like, you fucking nerd. Just own it. <laughs> yeah. I, I do really enjoy on Twitter though when like fans will like at him with bad takes and he's just like, fuck you no. Yeah. No, don't get me wrong. They'd be like, wow, you made EarthCov really fascist. How unrealistic. And he's just like. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Uh, We dunk on JMS a lot. A lot. And some of it's justified. Like the Hugo dunk from like season two (laughs) where he joyfully just casually mentions that uh, the only reason Star Trek got a Hugo nod that year was because he took one of his episodes out of contention, like a petty fucking yeah. dork that he is. Well, but, he's got uh, some but, pettiness there, yeah. But for the most part, we do it out of love. Yeah, I, yes. I mean, there, there, there's a certain amount of there, there's a certain amount of nobody can talk trash for a show like a fan. Yeah, because yeah. there's a certain amount of. The, the, there is you have to have a passion for something. Yeah, to have that much. I, I love Star Wars. I hate Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we just hit the hour forty-five mark. So we should probably wrap this up so Zathras doesn't murder us. Um, uh, I mean, I doesn't know where like, I live. <laughs> I, I think this was like this is like the best episode we've I, as like a, as a whole. This is the best episode we've had so far in season five, I think. Oh, hey. Uh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, no, I, think I will that's say true. I will say that Day of the Dead is a close second, but is ruined by Penn and Teller. Yeah. Huh? Uh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Ooh. Absolutely true. Like it takes I mean, take, I'm not it, it, I'm not I'm not disagreeing. I'm just going, and, ooh. Yeah. And it has I mean, like, both both uh too much Lockley and Gar- the implication that Garibaldi gets laid. Yep. Yeah. I like like it's like it's that like Day of the Dead is like a B, and this is like I would say that this episode is an A A minus. Let's put it this way: this episode stands easily with any uh, any of the good episodes in any other season. I almost would have preferred that this be a, like, like I, I I get like why it's here, but I almost preferred this would have been a season two or three episode. Yeah, like I think it would have been an interesting thing as like a thing to insert in. Yeah, that. If I were doing, I don't think you could have done it though before then, because on some level, I really think that this is the good, this is the, this is the farewell episode to the character of Bester, and I really think like Bester was such a good antagonist, and he was so good at like he like he's compelling, but you hate him, mm-hmm. and and it's like no, for our last show of this character, this character that 
you you've come to grow to hate on some level. Let's show you what it's like from his perspective. Yeah. Fair. Yeah, that's fair. That's a good point. And I think we needed to have the end of the telepath colony arc on the station, which, like, as an arc, gets a solid fart noise. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Imagine how different this would have been had the colony still been there. Yeah. 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 Um, or if yeah. they'd actually gotten the planet and Byron hadn't been, like, a fucking idiot. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for, for, me, for, for me, I'm just, I'm an X-Men fan. Once my villains get interiority, I only want more of them. Mm. <laughs> I think it really put a nice, like, cap on that particular arc because it does show where Bester is actually coming from in that, mm. of course, all of these people should want to come back because they're our family and we're their family and we're all a big family and we and should love each other and also do scientific experiments on them. Yes. Who among us has not wanted to dissect the brain of their family to see how it works? Depends which family member. There you go. <laughs> on that note, on, on the note of, of brain dissection, David, it has been a joy to have you here. Uh, thank you so much for coming on our weird B5 podcast. It's wonderful to, to, to meet you, Justin and Anna. And um, it's, again, very fun. It was our pleasure to have you on. It was fantastic. Do you have anything you would like to plug while you were here? <laughs> um, honestly, a lot of what I do, like, the pandemic's been really rough on my creative ability. Um, I still am ostensibly a writer on staff at Cardboard Republic. That's HTTP dot colon or HTTP colon slash slash cardboardrepublic.com. We'll put it in the show notes. I I can be found on Twitter at at SNDWURKS Soundworks. But a lot of the stuff I've been doing since the pandemic's really started has been um, political activism. So um, reach out to, this is just me saying, educate yourself about the world. Babylon 5 is an incredibly political show. Uh, it is a show that is, if anything, becoming still very relevant for a lot of the questions it asks. And watch it, think about it, educate yourself. And there are communities in need around you. It doesn't matter where you are in the world, wherever you're listening to this, there is a community in need within a day's drive of wherever you live. Do your research, find out about them, and if you can, help them. Because the pandemic is really going really hard, and especially a lot of marginalized communities right now, um, especially traditionally um, overlooked ones such as indigenous or other communities of color. They need This is winter. They need food. They need heat. They need clean water. They're in need. So do some research and do some good. That was very well put. That's... Um... Honestly, a little bit too wholesome for this fucking podcast. We're all Sorry. about space sticks yes, here, but... and you got to bring the wholesome, do some good in your community up in here. Six prehensile <laughs> space sticks. Thank you very much. Listen, <laughs> listeners, it is your duty that the first time somebody tweets at JMS about the reboot being too political, um, you have to send it our way so we can laugh and I can drink. Anyways. Um, that is going to bring uh, us to a close tonight. Next time, we are going to be covering episodes 14 and 15 of season five, Meditations on the Abyss, and Darkness Ascending. Those sound fun. Until next time. Be seeing you.
The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license. So, random gaming tangent, because I'm allowed at least one. There is the Zathras deck in the Babylon 5 CCG. That's amazing that there is a Zathras (laughs) deck for the CCG. Yes. That makes me legitimately happy that you can play, like, a Zathras meme deck in the the B5 CCG. Yep. I love it. That's 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 amazing.